This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Friday, April 29th, 2022. Welcome in to The Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson, your host. If you don't know me, I'm political editor at townhall.com, a Fox News contributor and host of this fine program, which we hope you enjoy every weekday between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern Time. If you can't listen live, we have a podcast for that. It is free. It is on demand when the show is over. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lots of options. You can also follow us on social media, at Guy Benson Show. That's Twitter and Instagram. Here's the lineup for today. Jimmy Fela, our Fox News radio colleague, will be here later on this hour. He's actually doing his show today, just wrapped up, from our studio in D.C. I believe he's in town for the White House Correspondents' Dinner. So he's become a cultural elite, it seems. We'll ask Jimmy about that experience. Brian Riedel will also join us, a policy budget wonk at the Manhattan Institute. We want to talk about this insane gambit that the president is at least considering on student loan forgiveness and how damaging it would be basically in every way imaginable. Brian will break down the policy implications of that coming up later in the show. We will also check in with Nate Hawkman, he's at National Review. He's been following a big dust-up at Georgetown University, the law school, and the types of people who are put in the penalty box for free speech and the types of people who are not. And someone who is welcome on campus, who is a virulent anti-Semitic, pro-terrorism bigot, apparently that's fine at Georgetown, but a conservative-leaning faculty member who didn't like the fact that Joe Biden started his his search for Supreme Court justice and the new nominee, who's now been confirmed, with sex and with skin color, that expression, that free speech was not to be tolerated at Georgetown. He is still suspended from his duties, but this other person was, I guess, welcome with open arms to speak on campus. What is going on at Georgetown, and why does this sound familiar? This kind of double standard, we'll talk to Nate, who's been covering all of it and all the gory and, I think, really disturbing details. And then also, to wrap up the show in our final hour, just after 5 p.m. Eastern time, our friend, our colleague, Janice Dean, is back. We'll get into some weather with her. We might touch on Andrew Cuomo, as we often do. But I also have some off-the-beaten-path questions for her on this Friday. We'll try to kick back and have some fun with Janice. We are broadcasting live from Los Angeles, California, here in SoCal, as they call it. It is very nice. It's a nice sunny day here. The weather's great. 
politics, the crime, some of the other things, <laughs> not so much. But we're in town for an event. We'll be here for a couple of days, bleeding into next week, doing a few shows from out here before heading home. So if you are on the left coast, hello, I'm waving at you. I'm in your backyard, roughly speaking. And if you're an East Coaster, I'll be back soon enough. As we begin the show today, I want to read to you from two stories, one in Politico, one from CNN, that made me on some level angry and frustrated, on another level just amused. I laughed at both of them, even though they're not really that funny. One of them, we'll start with the Politico story, has this headline, The Rise and Fall of the Star White House Reporter. For years, covering the White House was a kind of golden ticket in the media. Then came the Biden administration. And they've got this image, this sort of uh, illustration of journalists at the White House looking bored. One guy's yawning. And they're looking at some of their colleagues from years past who have portraits on the wall because they've made their bones as White House correspondents and they've gone on to bigger and better things. And these journalists under Biden just look, one guy's literally asleep. He's sitting on the floor with his phone plugged in and he's nodded off. So I'll just read to you from the lead in this story. Washington reporters have long considered the role of White House correspondent to be the crown jewel of American political journalism. It has launched high-profile television careers scored countless reporters' book deals, and been bestowed on media veterans for years of ink-drenched work. But during the age of Biden, a perch inside the James S. Brady press briefing room has become something altogether different. It's become a bore. It's just so boring, they say. It's just so boring to cover the Biden administration. Now, they quote an executive, a television executive, who says at the moment, quote, I can't think of any stars in the briefing room. I don't really watch the briefings. And they discuss how it's all just dull and dulled down. Now, here's the thing. The country is going through a lot. The president is deeply unpopular. The populace, the citizens, the electorate is angry. Collectively speaking, there has been one failure after another, one disaster, mistake, error after another. The president can barely string two sentences together. The vice president is a punchline, except no comedians seem willing to make the jokes because you just don't joke about Democrats. Democrats are on the team, so you don't really joke about them. That's why Saturday Night Live, SNL, they've been opening their shows almost every week with, like, Fox News skits, Trump skits. I see they were making fun of, I think, Senator Marsha Blackburn the other day. The Republicans are not in charge of anything in Washington, D.C. And yet all the humor, quote-unquote, has to be directed at them because you certainly can't make fun of Joe Biden. Nothing to make fun of there, folks. Even though, I mean, my goodness, you just watch the clips of him every day. I mean, if they wanted to be brutal to him, they could be. And it would be very funny. But they make the choice not to. And, I mean, Kamala Harris, I guess she's untouchable for identity politics reasons. But, ooh, I mean, you all know. You all know. 
And so this is, I think, the journalistic version of that. Oh, it's just so boring to cover this White House. Is it really? Oh, they can't think of any stars. I can think Someone who's on this show all the time is Peter Ducey. He gets a lot of the attention. Why? Because he's one of the only people, along with Jackie Heinrich, our other Fox News White House correspondent, who will ask tough questions, adversarial, pointed questions day in and day out. The other ones are just too bored and probably just depressed because their side is losing. And they know how bad it all looks. So they just kind of sit there and raise their hands and ask their limp questions. And sometimes they'll sort of ratchet up a little bit and push. And then they'll sort of lose the appetite for doing that sort of thing. They're demoralized. So it falls on Fox News to actually carry the torch of adversarial, accountability-minded media. And then you have people like, you know, off the record or on background saying, oh, there aren't really any stars in that room, and this is all just so boring. Well, it doesn't seem boring for Peter, who's gotten under the president's skin, president calling him a stupid SOB, for example. He's tangled with the press secretary. There is a lot of material to work with. I mean, Peter and Jackie every day have like a depth chart, 12 things they could ask about that are really challenging. And the big storyline apparently is, Oh, it's just so insipid inside these four walls. There's just, oh, there's just nothing really that exciting going on. There's a quote that I think really encapsulates how bad this story is and how bad the mentality is because I see actually Stephen Miller, Red Stees on Twitter, saying this entire story in Politico is just telling on themselves. The media telling on themselves like, oh, you know, we're just running to the ramparts to do all this stuff and hold presidents accountable. And we all become stars and get book deals and cable news contracts and all this stuff. And then the enemy, the bete noir, the bad guy is no longer in office anymore. And they're just sort of sullen and it's not really the same anymore. And yes, they, of course, miss Trump. Because it was huge for their ratings, huge for their cult personalities, huge for their you know, resistance-minded coverage, huge for all the awards they would give each other. And it's just not as fun anymore. When their side wins and their side is doing terribly, they're governing terribly, they are not impressing the American people, they all know what's coming in November, and so there's just this malaise and it's like, oh, just Biden and company, they're just, they're just too boring. They're telling on themselves. And for the rest of us here, it's like that famous quote, if you're a football fan, Dennis Green, who I believe at the time was coach of the Arizona Cardinals in the NFL, former Northwestern coach, by the way, didn't do too well at NU. But Dennis Green, they had lost a key game, I believe, to the Bears, don't quote me on that, and a reporter asked him about it, you know, who were these guys, you know, what were they, you know, what were they, and talking about the opponent that had just beaten them, Dennis Green said, they were who we thought they were. Ladies and gentlemen, the Washington Press Corps is exactly who we thought they were. And the fact that they would put it in a piece like this so explicitly, I think, in some ways is, like, astounding. In other ways, it just feeds into this idea that they are cloistered, they are clueless, they have no idea how much responsibility they bear for the decrease in trust 
the implosion of trust in this industry. Maybe the new disinformation czar from the Biden administration, like the, the you know, Ministry of Truth, maybe they'll fix all of that. <laughs> Here's a quote, by the way, one more quote from this Politico piece. Asking, and this was, this was actually from one of the journalists in the room, unnamed, talking about being a White House correspondent, which was, you know, again, this glittering jewel in your career, and you just you aspire to this forever. But now, under boring, dull, nothing to see here, Biden, quote, the work is a lot less rewarding because you're no longer saving democracy from Sean Spicer and his men's warehouse suit. Jawing with Jen just makes you look like an a-hole, end quote. They talk about how great Jen Psaki is. She's so good at her job. Is she really? We had Dana Perino on yesterday who teed off on Saki for an answer that she gave recently. Saki is sort of bland, and she's got her binder, and she's got her things, and she's sort of unflappable in certain ways, but she says ridiculous things all the time because she has to on behalf of this president and on behalf of the results. And she condescends to the few people who ask tough questions. She'll be sort of very snarky and dismissive and treat them all like they're six years old, all two or three of them who ask tough questions, and on Twitter, the lefties all applaud like a bunch of trained seals. Yes, queen, get him. And I guess the rest of the people in the room are part of that, almost like rooting for her. They're all on the same team. So they're just, you know, you know, waxing eloquent about how good she is. Oh, she's just so good, and, you know, sparring with her isn't that fun, and you look like an a-hole if you do it. Don't jaw with her. You look like an a-hole. But when you're jawing with Sean Spicer and his men's warehouse suit, doesn't that line just reek of elitism? Going back to Spicer and saying, oh, his suits aren't fancy enough. And you were really saving democracy by being an a-hole to him because that was sparks. And you could get on MSNBC or get a CNN contract. Someone backs up the brink truck to your house to write a book about Trump or whatever. Those were the good old days where you could preen and make everything about yourself and do all this indignant stuff and then chuckle under your breath with your colleagues about how Sean Spicer, right, a Navy reservist, I believe, oh, his suits aren't that sophisticated or they're not perfectly tailored. Did you see his shoes today? Oh, my God. It's so catty. You're no longer saving democracy. That's another part of that quote. Amazing. Under different leadership, resisting the White House is saving democracy. Now, holding a failing administration accountable that is failing so many Americans, it's just such a yawn. And if you get too worked up about it or you question some of their lies or their spin or their demagoguery, it's just, uh, you just come off looking not so great. Why even bother with Jen? They're just admitting it. They're just admitting it. It's out in the open. I guess to some extent that's useful. It doesn't make it any less gross. Now there's another piece at CNN. Biden's angry. Watch out, y'all. Biden's angry. Uh Uh-oh. We'll tell you about that when we come back. It's the Guy Benson Show on a Friday from L.A. Stay with us. Guy Benson will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. 
From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Guy Benson. We're back. So here's the other story I want to bring to your attention. CNN headline, a frustrated President Biden will go on the attack against Republicans in the midterms and into 2024. Oh, no. Not Joe Biden. Not a frustrated Joe Biden. Whatever will we do? I'm sure they're trembling in their boots over at RNC headquarters that this guy's going to go on the attack. Cut 22. We're going to seize their yachts, their luxury homes, and other ill-begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy. Yeah. Kleptocracy. and The guys who are the kleptocracies. Oh, no, not Joe Biden. You don't like you wouldn't like him when he's angry. You wouldn't like him when he's frustrated. Uh, They're going to get crushed because of him and because of the people around him. In the story, it says Biden is, quote, frustrated that journalists aren't calling out the Republicans. For, as he sees it, giving up their principles in pursuit of power according to a dozen people familiar with the president. So, I mean, Biden has given up how many of his principles to attain power? Like he used to be kind of a pro-life Democrat, and now, I mean, <laughs> the opposite of that. Like taxpayer-funded abortion through the nine months. He had to do that to get to power. So look in the mirror, bud. But I love that he's angry at journalists for not being face-first in the tank enough for the Democrats. You know when it's dem-on-dem, blue-on-blue violence like this, things aren't going well. Imagine thinking this press corps isn't anti-Republican enough. I guess you just have to grapple with your failures in different ways, and people have coping mechanisms. This is some hardcore cope over at the White House. I mean, the, the press is like a bunch of stenographers for the most part. They rip and attack the Republicans every chance they get, And the concern here aren't hacky enough. Well, Joe's angry. Joe's frustrated. And Republicans may not be that afraid of Joe and his 38% approval rating, but they might be afraid of his secret weapon that the Democrats have yet to deploy. Fear this, ladies and gentlemen. Cut 25. We will assist Jamaica in COVID recovery um, by assisting in terms of the recovery efforts in Jamaica that have been essential to, I believe, what is necessary to strengthen the significance of the passage of time. It is time for us to do what we have been doing. That has a a, a long history of, of being part of America's history. I acknowledge one must acknowledge. There is great significance to the passage of time. And that time is every day. <laughs> They're frustrated, folks. Be very afraid. It's the Guy Benson Show. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. We continue on this Friday. It's the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast. Really growing leaps and bounds. Thanks to all of you. We are grateful. GuyBensonShow.com is our website for that podcast, which is always free on demand. And so many more resources related to the program, which is coming to you from L.A., Los Angeles, California, for the next couple of programs. Glad to have you here. And we also have someone keeping the seat warm down in D.C. at our Tony Snow studio I believe his first time in that particular studio today doing his show, Fox Across America, right before ours. It's Jimmy Fela of Fox News Radio. Jimmy, how was the studio? Did you trash it? Yeah, that was first class. Uh, I didn't have an opportunity to trash it at first. When I showed up to the Washington Bureau, I walked to the front desk and the guy was like, sorry, we're not hiring any more janitors. And I was like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm Jimmy Phil. I work here. I have my own show back in New York. He was like, yeah, right. But it took me like three stabs at security to finally get in here. But no, this studio's gorgeous. I got to say, Guy Benson, it's it's a little newer than mine, too, isn't it? Very swanky. Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's nice. It's It's brand new. They did a huge renovation during COVID. And it's sort of similar to the ones in New York, but it's it's cozy, it's nice, it's very manageable. Now, you've got all of your toys and swag in your studio. My collection is a little less dramatic than yours, but I've got a few little things in there. Did you steal anything? No, I've, I've actually left everything, and I want to commend you on the restraint you showed because what I'm Thank realizing you. here is less it really is more within studio decor. My studio, right. the more I think about it, with all the adornments on the desk, my studio looks like the inside of a basement you woke up in with no idea how you got there. And uh, I'm going to scale it back after following your lead here in D.C. Well, it's just, you know, some classic waspy restraint, Jimmy. Stiff upper lip, <laughs> do the program, and then move on. Now, you're in D.C., am I correct? Did I get this mm-hmm. intel correct, that you were in D.C. for the White House Correspondents' Dinner? That is a true story. Um, wow. I will, be, I will be waiting tables in Section 6 through 8. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll be have out you Have you been to out. one before? Yo, I've never been to one. I'm actually excited to go check it out. Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. The, some of the parties are kind of fun. The dinner itself is is fine. I've been to I think two or three. It's it's not like you know my favorite activity. But if you've never done it, that's exciting. Now, what are you going to wear? Because this is actually a big question. Given given some of your other sartorial choices, I can't wait to hear this answer. No, no, and I am making a move. It's a black tie event. So what I'm doing though is I'm wearing one of like my tuxedos, which is a traditional black tuxedo pant. But then I'm wearing, like, it's a silver tuxedo jacket with a black lapel. Um, It really comes off like I'm the oldest member of a boy band. Like, they want to fire me, but they can't because I can get them beer and cigarettes. No, no, it's part of it. It's the reunion. It's the reunion because they all want to make a little extra money, go back on tour, you know, take some of their, uh, you know, their, like, their joint medication and everything, get out there and uh, make the middle-aged ladies scream. Yeah, the back pain boys. That's what we are. The back, back pain boys. That's pain. very good. <laughs> I'm a Buffalo-based boy band called 38 Degrees. Yeah, that's me. Um, so I'm going with my boy band look. Uh, black tie affair. I am wearing boots, though. I will it's have like, you know I'm not it's wearing like jeans. This concert is sponsored by Relief Factor. <laughs> it's so funny. Doing their hit single, Get Off My Lawn. Please welcome... <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, well, this sounds like a, a promising. So you said silver with the black lapel. Anything yeah. crazy on the tie? Are you doing the full length tie or the bow tie or what? I'm going full length. Uh, I'm wearing boots. I'm wearing like a black oh. snakeskin boot. Oh. Um, it's python. It's kind of a roll. It, when I say it's like a rolling snakeskin, the predominant color is white, but it's a blended snakeskin. It looks mean, and it pulls the whole outfit together pretty well. So it's not going to be like I'm not going to wind up on one of those lists of like the most garish outfits, but I just didn't want it to be traditional sure? base black and white. No, nah, I don't think it's that. By my standards, no, guy. There are things the I wear. The white snake boots aren't aren't enough. I mean, maybe I don't know, but I'm just saying at the top, I don't, I, I don't know, because there's always somebody right. who's going to come in with like a nativity set in their hair and a 17 foot train on their dress. I don't know that I'm in that like circus uh, category of fashion. Yeah, so that sounds more like the Met Gala, whereas the White House Correspondents' Dinner, it's a lot less exciting people <laughs> who, oh, okay. who go, myself <laughs> included, very much. Um, and they call it very sort of self-consciously nerd prom, which I also find kind of gross. But I hope you have a fun time. Hopefully the table is fun. I'm sure there will be many Fox News jokes because that's the only funny thing that to make fun of. We were talking about that earlier. You can, it's Trump and Fox News. Those are the safe categories. Um, and we'll see if Trevor Noah, who's the MC, goes there on any of this stuff because, I mean, the failures are hilarious in a lot of senses when it comes to yeah. the Democrats running D.C., just a lot of people won't make the joke, and Trevor Noah, I, I don't know. Is he funny? I mean, The, the Daily no. Show, I never watch it anymore. Is he a funny guy? No. Trevor Trevor, uh, Trevor Noah concerts, if you want to get tickets, they're usually like 20 to get in and 100 to get out, you know, because he does like three-hour <laughs> terrible jokes. Uh, you know, Trevor Noah is a nice guy. I've met him a lot at Gotham in the city. But he really is – Trevor Noah is like where Disney's Hall of Presidents go to look charismatic. He has a very, like, animatronic <laughs> vibe, and uh, I don't know how it's going to play in a room that big, but I think it'll give him – he'll give him a lot of home cooking, like you said. It'll be a lot of Fox is bad, January 6th is bad, and it's yeah. a sad moment for comedy because this administration has gifted them with so many targets to shoot at. What I'd oh, like to see happen – stop. Yes. Is, is ultimate, there's, there's, there's nothing – I mean, Jimmy, let's, let's <laughs> tee up uh, Cut 22. There's nothing, there's nothing funny here. <laughs> We're going to seize their yachts, their luxury homes, and other ill-begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy. Yeah, <laughs> kleptocracy and klep the guys who are the kleptocracies. <laughs> the guys who are the kleptocracies, Jimmy. I mean, that's not funny. Stop. Just as you said that, all right, so my opening line, if I'm Trevor Noah, just off that, just hearing that clip, uh, welcome to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Tonight we're going to party like it's 1999, because that's what year Joe Biden thinks it is. Hey, everybody! You know, and you could work off that all day. Something that <laughs> stupid. I mean, it's the first thing that came into my brain. But any of you those jokes leave, are there. If, if, you just, if, if, if you just, like, showed up and, like, wait, Trevor Noah's flight got canceled, we need someone, they somehow drag you up on stage to do it, you would leave that room so aghast, it would be spectacular. And that YouTube video would get a billion views. It would. It would be such a great way to end my showbiz career, too. Like, I'd have such a story to tell to all my taxi yeah, go passengers out on top. this coming Monday. Yeah, yeah. When you're, when you're back in the cab, driving the cab, you're like, you know. <laughs> Let me tell you about my previous gig. You think this is crazy? <laughs> you think this traffic is bad? Oh, uh, and then, then you've got and you've got another in that case, and just like you know, in the ballroom in the back of the cab, you've got this captive audience. 
Yeah. Or you just you can tell your stories. Look, I'm interested to see the reaction to it. I'm not going to be watching. I'll admit mm-hmm. that. You know, on a Saturday night, that's not you know, know. top of yeah. my list. But I'll be very eager to get your take on it next Monday. Oh, on yeah. Fox Across America, Fox That's News right. Radio, which is Monday through Friday, noon to 3 Eastern. So mm-hmm. 9 to noon out here on the West Coast. Jimmy, I do want to ask you about this, uh, a story mm-hmm. that I had to, like, double-check to make sure it was real. Mm-hmm. And it is real. The Biden Department of Homeland Security has announced that they are creating a governing board to handle disinformation. So basically a ministry of truth. And yep. DHS is setting it up, which is perfect. Because, you know, it's Mayorkas in charge of that thing. He's the one who says the border's secure. So you definitely want to entrust him with making sure that we crack down on misinformation and disinformation. And the woman who is going to be the head of this Ministry of Truth is someone called Nina Jankowitz. I know nothing about her aside from a lot of people combing through her tweets and finding, well, disinformation that she has shared about COVID, about you know, the Russia hoax about the Hunter Biden laptop. She's just, you know, a leftist who does the leftist misinformation stuff. And that's fine. It's right wing misinformation or so-called that they want to crack down on. She also apparently has a flair for drama and theatrics. Here she is. And we are not making this up. This is absolutely real. Here is the new Ministry of Truth headmistress, Nina Jankowitz singing about disinformation in the style of Mary Poppins, Cut 24. Information laundering is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet. So disinformation's origins are slightly less atrocious. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie when Rudy Giuliani shared that. Okay, enough. That is real. Uh, and that is now someone, I guess, with some power uh, handed to her by Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas because they really want to make sure that, that the people don't get any wrong information, Jimmy. <laughs> I know. Uh, up next, we're going to put Pablo Escobar in charge of the DEA. I mean, this is crazy, Guy Benson. This woman is insane. And the, the, the singing thing, the TikTok thing, what's funny is if you don't spend any time on TikTok, you're like, oh, that's a patently crazy person. And it is. But it's also everybody on TikTok. Like, that's, that's the greatest ruse of TikTok. As we know, you know, it's, it's run by China, and they're stealing little kid information and everything in between. But what a lot of people don't realize is, like, nobody in China is on TikTok. We are, and we are furnishing them with the highest-rated comedy show in all of China because they're watching Americans humiliate themselves in their living room every night with their <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't I shouldn't laugh because, I mean, it's definitely a CCP espionage tool, yeah, and yeah. they're definitely gathering a lot of information on, like, millions and millions of our young people. Uh-huh. But, like, yeah, if you're one of these, you know, bureaucrats or even kleptocrats even uh, in mm-hmm. China and you're over in some, you know, faceless, you know, drab building sitting there and your job is TikTok and your job is to look at what the Americans are up to and you're in this this you know, commie, you know, hub and you're sitting there all day long, you've got to just send the same report back. If you're watching, like, basically libs of TikTok all day, you're like, you know, Mr. Chairman – uh, this is this is not a threat. These people are not a threat. We're going to be just fine. 
<laughs> no, TikTok is because you know when we heard that I so agree because you know when we had that report from the from the Navy the declassified FBI FBI files about uh, UFOs. Excuse me, those files anyway. The CIA files about F, uh, UFOs. Uh, I am convinced that UFOs came here, took five minutes to check out TikTok and Twitter, and just left. Like I believe they're out there. I just don't believe they want anything to do with us. They're like, yeah, they're all walking around staring at this device in their hand. It's really weird. They do it at dinner. They do it at movies. They do it at Broadway plays. They paid good money to get into. For some reason, they just keep staring at their hand. I think they're nuts. Let's get out of here. And I think that's what happened. You know, it's like, uh, you know, Mr. Chairman. I really don't think that they're match that much of a threat. And Chairman, she's like, are you sure? How can you be so sure? They're like, well, Mr. Chairman, this is actually their new boss in their Ministry of Truth. <laughs> Cut 24, Mr. Chairman. Information laundering is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress and, or... And then she is like, yeah, okay. He's like, go ahead, take Taiwan. Take Taiwan. Let's do <laughs> you it. Know the, you know the old adage like Nero fiddled? Nero fiddled while Rome burnt? Yes. Uh, it, our epitaph will be Nero TikToked. Nero TikToked yeah. while America burned. It's such a it's, just, it's bonkers, man. I listen. I say it every day. The world's on fire. I'm just trying to roast a couple of marshmallows. I don't know what else to do, guy. Ben, it's, it's a real a clip. Mess. Totally real clip. Someone who also seems to be kind of enjoying the conflagration and sort of messing with people is Elon Musk. Yes. Have you seen this image that he put out? Sort of this graph about how he stayed exactly the same over the years. And the left has gone crazier and crazier left, and he's still there. But the center of political gravity keeps moving leftward because they keep pulling further out. He's like, here I am right of center, even though I haven't moved. And his fellow liberals have become leftists calling him a bigot. They went crazy over this. He tweeted it. It went everywhere. It went hyper viral. And now you have like fact checks of it in the Washington Post owned by another billionaire. And they're like, well, this is what Elon Musk gets wrong about his assertion about polarized politics. And they all believe as an article of faith that the Republican Party has gone crazy right and the Democrats have not done the same, you know, in kind on the left. And it's just not true. I mean, they have gone way as a policy matter. I think in terms of the way politics is practiced and some of the conspiracy stuff on the right – it's in some ways a more radicalized Republican Party, but in terms of actual policy, it's not even close. The Democrats are light years away from where they were even 10 or 15 years ago, whereas Republicans maybe have moved a little bit right on a few things, have moved left on a lot of stuff, have yes. stayed stagnant on most things. The Dems policy-wise are much more radical than the Republicans are, setting aside sort of the, the atmospheric stuff where they might have a point. but. The, the fact is Musk puts this out there. It starts this whole conversation, and the people whose heads had already exploded every day for a week because of the pending yeah. you know, acquisition, yeah. they're now furious again. And it's like, oh, get, get the fact checkers on this map. <laughs> but it's so funny because they're really like tipping their hand in the sense that the left really did spend four years saying that, oh, Twitter doesn't favor us, you know, for, for a party right. that wants us to believe right. Twitter didn't favor them. They seem really concerned about the yes, idea that Twitter's changing hands. Uh-huh. Like, what do you mean? I, I thought this wasn't, a, wasn't an issue. But, but we know, we all see through it. We all know what's going on. Um, and it's true that the right has shown 
more of a pivot towards the center uh, on issues. And the left is, and I, and I would paraphrase Bill Maher on this, the left has us debating issues that didn't exist a few years ago. You know, remember that mm-hmm. quote from Bill Maher about three weeks ago where he was talking about, you know, gender, sexual identity for kindergarten kids. And he was saying this just this wasn't a thing five years ago. So he didn't leave the party so much as the party left him. A lot of liberals feel that way. And it's fascinating, Guy, because I think for the first time ever, the right is starting to win the culture war. Because the left is taking so many outrageous positions, and they're doing right. so much of it through self-parody. things like social pr- – Yeah, that's what it is. It's self-parody. Remember how we used to say under Trump they had one job, not go crazy? Um, they have gone crazy in, in – Yeah, I mean <laughs> – <Yeah. laughs> Did yeah. they ever, though? I mean, they didn't kind of <laughs> The one fail. job did not work. <laughs> yeah, there's, they failed in a way that we can't – there's no extra credit assignment that's going to bail this out. You know what I'm saying? This isn't like a narrow failure. This is a situation. Jimmy, I actually, I have to interrupt you because we're just getting this in some breaking news. The Ministry of Truth has actually issued from the Department of Homeland Security a fact check of Elon Musk – and that infographic that he tweeted. Let's play you the response from the Ministry of Truth. We have this just coming in, cut 24. Information laundering is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precarious. Okay, Jimmy Fallon, Fox <laughs> Across America. Have a great time. Was it tomorrow night at the Correspondents' Dinner? Tomorrow night, Guy Benson, and I'll be doing a hit from the dinner with Lawrence Jones. So it could be my last TV hit ever. Make sure everybody tunes in. Open bar and a TV camera. Don't go hand in yeah, hand. Yeah, don't drink too much. Enjoy D.C. Sorry I'm not there to hang out with you next time jimmy Fallon, my guest on the guy benson show thanks jimmy my man see you soon guy have fun in la we'll be right back fresh conservative talk guy benson show back here on the guy benson show i saw this earlier a new poll from susquehanna which is a well-known pollster out of pennsylvania it's a national poll where they asked on the congressional generic ballot, which party would you prefer control the Congress? And in this survey, the GOP is up 10 points. Up 10, 49 to 39 on the Democrats. That is just an astounding number. They're up 2 to 6 in a lot of the other polling, the Republicans are. And you might say, well, this is just a right-wing poll. It's way too biased. Well, they also tested Trump versus Biden in a rematch, and Biden's beating Trump by two in that same poll. So maybe not so right-wing. The American people just don't want to vote for Democrats this year. Meanwhile, we're here in Los Angeles, and I saw this come across. The L.A. school district is again reimposing mask mandates for kids. If they are deemed to have been exposed, quote-unquote, they have to wear a mask for 10 days in class. It doesn't work, but maybe they think it works, even though it doesn't. You might even call it misinformation. From Los Angeles, it's the Guy Benson Show. Another hour coming up. Say COVID can cause pain. They're laundering disinfo, and we really should take note and not support their lies with our wallet voice. Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. Another hour of the Guy Benson Show underway on this Friday. Happy Friday, one and all. GuyBensonShow.com. That's our website here at the program. GuyBensonShow.com. All the ways to listen live. You can also get the podcast every day for free on demand. Also, follow us on social media, at Guy Benson Show. That's Twitter and also Instagram. Joining us now, 
in our middle hour is Brian Riedel, Senior Fellow at the Manhattan Institute. And Brian, it's good to have you back here. Glad to be back. Thanks, Guy. I would like to walk through with you, because we talked about the politics of it with Dana Perino yesterday. I've had a few more things to say, but I want to talk about the sort of academic side of it, the fiscal side of it, the policy side of it, this notion that President Biden is entertaining about canceling or, quote unquote, forgiving large swaths of student debt. He knocked down a few ideas saying that he wasn't considering going quite as far as some on the hard left want him to. But it seems like there's a lot still on the table. And I would like for you to just sort of walk us through the implications of what this would mean if the federal government, by virtue of you know just some decision made at the very top, a unilateral fiat from the president, if the federal government decides that they're going to start canceling student debt for a certain segment of this society. Yeah, there, there are several damaging implications. The first is, let's say he cancels roughly half of all debt. That's a trillion dollars. That is a trillion dollar increase in the national debt. That is an enormous cost. And, and the fact that it would be done without congressional approval in that situation really raises significant accountability questions. In terms of who benefits, it's important to note that um, the wealthiest, the, the, the most student debt is controlled by is actually owned by wealthy households. Um, almost a third of all student debt is owned by the wealthiest twenty percent of households. Only eight percent by the bottom by the bottom fifth of households. So overall, if we forgave student loans, it would give five hundred and forty four billion dollars in handouts to the top earning quartile versus 192 billion to the bottom earning quartile. So this is like a major handout for wealthy college graduates. In fact, half of all student debt is for is for graduate debt, MBAs, JDs, MDs. Now, a third implication is inflation. Uh, for giving student debt would raise inflation by about 0.2% for this year, which isn't a huge amount. But when you take into account we're already at 8.5, we're already doing tariffs, Buy America provisions, uh, Davis-Bacon that raises the cost of government contracts, then you do another 0.2% here, um, it's it's damaging uh, to inflation. And then finally, this isn't going to be a one-time thing. If you forgive student debt, what ends up happening is more students will borrow more in the future and universities will raise tuition higher on the expectation that they're going to get forgiven, too. So the cost continues. I mean, it, it seems like an absolutely terrible policy in virtually every way. There are some people who would benefit from it. And as you pointed out, disproportionately, they are wealthier people. And something that you said there on, like, the graduate school debt piece of this, I think that makes it even more outrageous, right? Because then you'll have, let's say, like doctors and lawyers who will have those degrees, who will have higher-paying jobs in prestigious fields, who will continue to reap the benefit of having those degrees for the rest of their career with their you know, increased earning potential and all of that fully intact on the backs of – like working class people who didn't go to even undergraduate. That that seems absolutely nuts. Like the, the moral hazard here is enormous. You can get your law degree, go into debt, and have it forgiven 
by, you know, the stroke of a pen by the president and everyone else is going to have to pay for it while you continue to benefit from that law degree. And the people who didn't even get, you know, a, a B.A. or a B.S., they're on the hook. I mean, how on earth is that sound policy? Also, how on earth is that sound politics? I mean, I mean I'm, I'm not a class warrior. You don't have to be a class warrior to realize we are going to dump a burden on working class non-college graduates so that doctors, lawyers, and MBAs are, won't be burdened with a student loan payment. These are people who borrowed for degrees that will, that will bring multiple millions of dollars in higher lifetime earnings. I mean, we, we often hear a bachelor's degree is worth about $1 million. An MD, JD, and MBA can be worth 10 times of that. And the idea that you shouldn't have to pay back even the small investment you made in yourself while we're going to dump that cost on people who didn't even go to college is, is the most absurd redistribution upward. And that's why, I, you know, I know you talked to Dane about the politics. There's going to be a huge backlash because beyond the cost, this offends people on a gut level, especially those who, yep. who either didn't go to college or those like me who went and have already paid off their student loans. It, it offends people's sense of justice. Yeah, it's, it's unfair, and I think it's so clearly unfair for people, and it punishes, Brian, this is the worst part, it punishes personal responsibility. We feel like we're a society that's moving away from personal responsibility in so many different ways on social media, in our politics, in our culture. This would be a move that would take people who did responsible things, made responsible decisions, made sacrifices and calculations, who've worked very hard, people who chose a path that made sense for them, and it punishes them, and it rewards other people, and it makes the responsible people pay for the reward while they get punished. I mean, it's, it is so backwards. It's almost hard to put into words. Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, when Bill Clinton was president, he always talked about helping out the people who played by the rules. You know, well, here, if you played by the rules, borrowed responsibly, or worked through college so that you didn't have to borrow as yeah, much, screw you. paid it back, you're a chump. You, you are a chump, and, as a, and, as a, and we are going to dump the costs on you for other people who got even better degrees that will pay even more to not have to pay it off. And, I mean, the fairness point, you know, why not pay off auto loans? Why not pay off credit card loans? Why not pay off home loans? And the answer is because this is the coalition that and the echo chamber that they surround themselves with. And, and, and from, a, from a policy standpoint, there's just no justification. It would be more justified to pay off auto or home loans because at least that hits lower income individuals. You're not you're not paying off doctors and lawyers. There's also another component to this, which is the constitutional aspect of it. I mean, is it actually legal? Is it constitutional for the president of the United States on his own accord without Congress or anything just to say, oh, surprise, magic wand, here we go, these specific groups of people get their you know their student loans eliminated i would imagine there'll be an enormous legal fight over that so there'd be a fairness fight a political fight a policy fight with all these ripple effects and a constitutional fight and if he wants to wade into it i mean i guess good luck he's sort of trying to plumb new depths it seems when it comes to presidential popularity and and the struggle of his political party on that front brian i do want to ask you about the news that broke yesterday 
with GDP growth shrinking last quarter. That was not expected by very many people. We had Charles Payne here on the show. He was talking about the implications, uh, the concerns now about maybe not down the line a recession, but a lot sooner a recession. The White House says they're still feeling very confident. I saw Jen Psaki today said their team feels very good about the strength of the economy. There are definitely bright spots. There are underlying factors that are robust, but there are also some gigantic red flags flapping around, including the GDP number, including, of course, inflation. What do you make of what happened last quarter? And what do you make of the White House sort of talking points that they're putting out there that all is well? You know, Larry Summers, uh, who was right about inflation, he was the only one or one of the only ones on the Democratic side who was brave enough to to, to declare that we were going to get this inflation with all the spending, has been saying that every time in the last 75 years that inflation has exceeded 6 percent and unemployment has been below 4 percent, we have had a recession. Every single time we have had this combination of economic factors, we have had a recession. And he says the, it is highly likely that we are going to get a recession this year. And, you know, it, that wasn't taken seriously either. But when you have negative 1.4% growth for the quarter, you have a lot of people very worried about the economy. What ends up happening is business investment is going to probably start to dry up a little bit now, that there's going to be uncertainty. And it kind of builds on itself. It feeds on itself. High inflation, high uncertainty can slow down economic activity. It makes businesses less likely to invest. It can, it can slow down economic factors. I think that, that this is a legitimate problem, that, that we may face a double-dip recession. And the first dip in the double dip, of course, was due to the pandemic, right? That was something out of any human's control. I mean, we can argue about, you know, the CCP in China in the early days, but this was, you know, a a huge global phenomenon that led to so much suffering and so much death. And then, of course, the shutdown of economies, some of which probably was avoidable, uh, but just, you know, giving everyone the benefit of the doubt. There was a big economic slowdown because of that. And then my assumption, Brian, was that there would be this like trampoline effect where it's like, okay, we're going to bounce right back. The economy was extremely strong right before the pandemic arrived. The Republicans cut taxes and reformed the tax code. They cut regulation. Things were going extremely well. Economic confidence was very high. All of the metrics were looking really strong and well-balanced and sustainable. The pandemic hits, and my assumption about the new president, once Biden won, was that he could just sort of sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight as the economy took off again because the underlying stuff was good. The pandemic was going to move on, and then he would just sit there and take credit for it. That's what I was expecting from him. Instead, we got all this crazy spending and wasteful stuff and terrible policies. They want to spend even more. They wanted $5 trillion more trillion in Build Back Better. They wanted to raise taxes on the middle class through Build Back Better. They had a bunch of other even worse stuff that they wanted to do. We're talking about the, the loan forgiveness idea here. I mean, he's done a huge amount of meddling, and it seems to me at least like what he could have done, which is just like take an easy win where he had to almost do nothing, and he has somehow managed to screw it up by pursuing like left-wing economic policy what a huge own goal, right? If this second blip of the recession arrives, you know, that's largely, not completely, but largely on him and the people in power and the decisions that they're making, right? Yeah, I mean, economic- 
economically, as you say, this should have been like an on-off switch. The recession forces people to stay home, or the pandemic forces people to stay home, and when the pandemic ends, it's like recovering from a natural disaster. People go back to work, and the, and the economy bounces back. This should have functioned like an on-off switch. And, and it, Biden would have been the third straight Democratic president to take office during a recession uh, after Clinton and Obama, and then basically just ride the automatic recovery back up and take credit for the business cycle rebound. But as you say, we had a $1.9 trillion American rescue plan that was shot into a $420 billion output gap. We've had the student loan pause. He has renewed the Trump tariffs. He's added his own tariffs. We have tariffs on solar panels, Chinese goods, Canadian lumber, building materials. He is doing Buy America provisions that are raising inflation. Uh, Again, Davis-Bacon raising inflation. All the ways in which he's meddling in the economy, and he's tried to meddle even more, as you said, with Build Back Better, it's creating, it's raising costs, it's overheating the economy, and then causing the the, the blip when when the overheating ends, and it's raising inflation. He, He could have just laid back like Bill Clinton did in 1992 and just kind of let the economy recover on its own. This is a big own goal, as you say, by the Democrats. Yep. And we saw just today the PCE inflation index hitting a 40-year high. It seems like they're all doing that these days. Worst number since 1982. Brian, let me ask you this, because the inflation is extremely painful. It is just eating into people's purchasing power, their savings, the wages that they're now getting that are finally going up again. It doesn't really matter because that's getting swamped by the inflation which has to be just like this incredibly frustrating feeling where you're, you know, you're running as fast as you can and you seem to be going backwards on this treadmill. If the next step after this huge inflation moment subsides, if the next step through Fed action or what have you is a correction and then a recession because of rate hikes and, and that whole combination of factors, the so-called hard landing, we were talking about that yesterday with Charles, how long does the hard landing last? How hard is the landing? You know, is it a short recession? Could this be a multi-year recession? What are we looking at here if this recession does in fact arrive in 2022 or a lot of experts are saying it would be next year, 2023? Yeah, I think I think we need to go back to the early 80s recession because that's the last time inflation and interest rates rose this fast. That was the deepest recession since World War II or since the Great Depression. Um, Unemployment hit 10%. Interest rates went through the roof. We had interest rates hitting 20%. The Fed funds rate hit 20%. Unemployment was 10%. The economy ground to a halt. Again, it was the worst recession since the Great Depression. And it really took until about 1984 for the economy to really get back on track. That was a brutal recession, and it took about a year or two to really recover. People don't remember it as much, but it was about as deep as the 2009 recession, and that seems to be the closest parallel to the factors today. One difference is back then, the president, President Reagan, was able to do the tax cuts that kind of mitigated some of the effects of the Federal Reserve tightening. And these days, I have a feeling that that White House economic policy and congressional economic policy is probably going to be sabotaging what we need to do Mm -hmm. rather than helping. I think that's probably a cynical view, but probably a correct view. Let's hope it doesn't get that bad, but the numbers right now are pretty scary, which is why we wanted to run some of this past Brian Riedel, senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. 
He's a budget wonk guy. He knows the numbers. He knows his history on this stuff. And it was uh, hard to listen to, but I think really an important conversation. Brian, we do appreciate it. Let's cheer up for the weekend and talk again soon. Thanks a lot, Guy. It's the Guy Benson Show. Back after this. The Guy Benson Show. More next. I'm Guy Benson. We are back from Los Angeles, California. It's the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast every day. A quick note out of Ukraine and a sad one. This is from Axios. Radio Free Europe journalist killed in Russian airstrike on Kiev. So the Russians are just bombing and rocketing everything indiscriminately, killing civilians, killing now even more journalists. We lost two at Fox News in recent weeks. This is Vera Herchich who's a journalist at Radio Free Europe and Radio Liberty. Her body was found Friday morning after a Russian airstrike hit her residential building in the capital city of Kiev. That's, of course, in Ukraine. That was last night. And her team is putting out a statement saying they are deeply saddened by her death and she will be remembered for her professionalism and dedication to the mission. So another journalist killed by the Russians, one of thousands and thousands of innocent people who have died, as the Russian death toll also increases over in Ukraine. The Guy Benson Show will return after this. Stay tuned. You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson. From Los Angeles, California today, it's the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday. Thanks for listening. GuyBensonShow.com for the free podcast, which is really growing big time. We are grateful. Joining us now is Nate Hawkman, an ISI fellow at National Review, and he's been following some of the tumult at Georgetown University, both at the law school and elsewhere in different contexts, and now there are big accusations, I think correct accusations, of hypocrisy. When it comes to free speech, we've had him on the show before for sort of round one of this. It's time for round two. Nate, welcome back. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Guy. Good to be here. So let's just, for people who may not have any idea what we're talking about, let's start with the Ilya Shapiro dust-up. If you could just summarize what happened there, what is the status of that situation? Then we'll move forward from that. Right. So Ilya Shapiro, who was slated to take a job um, as a law professor at Georgetown Law, is now in his 13th week of indefinite suspension from the Georgetown Law School for a set of tweets that he posted uh, back at the end of January, criticizing the Biden administration's use of race and gender as a determinant for selecting their Supreme Court pick. So essentially what Ilya was doing was defending colorblind race-neutral equality under the law. And as a result, there was a massive backlash led by a lot of activists on the Georgetown Law campus, and the administration caved very quickly. So that was its own controversy. And Ilya, you know, the administration is hoping they can they can sweep this stuff under the rug, but Ilya is still in purgatory right now. And the recent iteration, which I'm sure we'll talk about, where they invited an anti-Semite to speak on their campus, uh, is a perfect example of how they actually don't mean anything they say when it comes to free speech and standing up for racial justice. Right. And we will get to that in a moment. But 
just to linger a bit longer on the Ilya Shapiro situation. And just full disclosure, I know Ilya a little bit. We've crossed paths a number of times. Smart guy, more of a libertarian than I am. Totally qualified to be a professor at a law school like Georgetown's. He put out those tweets. He actually apologized for the tweets, which I thought was unfortunate that he felt like he had to do that. But despite all the prostration and the groveling, it didn't seem to do him much good. He was put under investigation and has stretched over the course of months. And, Nate, one of my questions here is what are they investigating? We saw the tweets. He put his opinion out. He even apologized for it. What's the end game? Right. So that's obviously one of the absurd things about the fact that this so-called investigation has been dragging on for 13 weeks or more now is that it is one, maybe two tweets. You know, I don't know, a sum total of 25 words that apparently they need 13 weeks to comb through. Of course, it has nothing to do with the tweets. It has nothing to do with Ilya himself, frankly. It has a lot more to do with the fact that the university has, uh, by their own fault, put themselves in a difficult position, and they're trying to figure out how they can strategically get out of this with their own hides intact. So the whole investigation is a sham, and there's nothing actually to investigate in the tweets. It might have been poorly worded, but it was a defense of a completely basic constitutional principle of colorblind equality. But they are now trying to basically throw Ilya under the bus because they're scared of their own students, frankly. Oh, yeah, that's it. They're terrified of this mob, and the mob is thrilled about this other speaker that you mentioned who has said some deeply objectionable, bigoted things in the past – I guess that is not so much a problem when it comes to free speech, but Ilya Shapiro is. The juxtaposition is just galling. I think it speaks for itself. It's really, I think, uh, a disgrace at Georgetown. This is a a black mark, a blot on their copybook that's putting it, I think, very mildly. Describe this new side of it, this new development that you've alluded to. Right. So if you want to talk about truly horrific speech, look no further than Mohammed Al-Kurd, who's the Palestinian activist and writer who was who was hosted on the Georgetown Law campus to speak earlier this week. Um, you know, this guy is someone who's claimed that Israelis harvest the organs of the martyrs to feed their warriors our own. He's glorified violence like the Second Intifada, which killed numerous Jewish women and children. Uh, he called it psychotic to call for Palestinians to be peaceful. Uh, And in one particularly gross tweet, he expressed his hope that every one of the Israeli settlers dies in the most torturous and slow ways and that they see their mothers suffering. So, I mean, this is a really, really grotesque figure with really, really grotesque views who has not just walked up to the line, but has actually actively called for mass violence and ethnic cleansing. Um, And he is someone who the Georgetown Law Administration is defending, speaking on their campus, on the basis of free speech, which, of course, is enormously ironic, given that they're doing that even as Ilya Shapiro is still suspended 13 weeks later. I mean, he's repeating blood libel against Jews. He is advocating and celebrating violence and terrorism. And this is viewed as acceptable speech under the protection of free speech. And I'm a big free speech guy. And I think generally, once someone is invited, even if they say really disgusting, appalling things, they're allowed to say those things. They're allowed to think those things in the United States. I think when you're actually agitating for violence, you're really crossing a line. But let's just say for the sake of argument, that he hasn't quite crossed that line. He just is this odious figure who believes terrible, bigoted things and says them routinely. 
it would be one thing to say, well, we're going to not deplatform him because he's been invited. Again, you don't have to necessarily give and offer platforms to people, but if the invitation had gone out, I'm not a big fan of canceling speakers because of an outcry, but if you've got a faculty member in purgatory, as you put it, under investigation for two tweets that do not even come close to the nastiness, severity, disgusting nature of what this other person said, and then that is sort of like a guest in good standing on your campus. I'm just trying to figure out how can the administration justify that? Like, what's their excuse when they put those two things side by side? They have to come up with something, or maybe they don't. Maybe they just have no comment. They're like, well, we're afraid of these people, so we're going to do whatever they want to do. And we're not afraid of these other people, so they can pound sand. I don't know if they'd put that in an official statement, but it feels like that's what their actions clearly state. Right. And, I mean, if you want to talk about inciting violence, this is a different debate, but El Kurd has actually walked up pretty close to that line. Uh, At a speech at um, Arizona State University earlier this month, he said, I know there are some apartheid lovers in the audience. If you heckle me, you will be shot, right? So that's, you know, in the audience, you can debate whether or not that's actually calling for violence. It probably isn't by a legal standard. But the point is, this guy is about as close as it gets to the actual... It sounds like a lunatic. He is a lunatic. I mean, he really is a... He is someone who is uh, an anti-Semitic maniac. Now, I agree with you, uh, Guy. I think... um, You know, free speech should have wide, wide protections, even for very bad speech, particularly on college campuses where the exchange of ideas is crucially important. But to have someone like this who really is pretty close to the limits of free speech on your campus while canceling or suspending someone for tweets that express an opinion that is held by the majority of Americans is completely inconsistent. And to your point, the administration isn't even really trying to gesture at any kind of intellectual consistency here because, of course, yeah. it would be absurd to try. They're talking about free speech when it comes to El Kurd, but, of course, it's obvious from their own actions that the principle of free speech for them only really applies to one side of the political aisle. Yeah, they're just hunkered down in some sort of ideological bunker and hoping that people like you won't kick up too much of a fuss over this and they can just let it all go away. And then eventually they'll have to make a decision with Ilya where they don't get sued. I mean, it's just so craven. It's honestly pitiful for an institution that views itself as elite and prestigious. This is just, I would say, sad, but it's beyond that. And it's also not surprising, I think, is part of the frustration that I have here. I want to ask you this, Nate, about the way this has all gone down, because one of the things that we often hear in the context of these discussions, is left-wing students claiming that they are made unsafe by words, right? That words are violence, and when you have someone say words or tweet words or write words that they don't like, it makes them physically unsafe, and therefore violence has been committed upon them or whatever. I think it's a preposterous standard. I think that there are no rules that you can actually apply to that, but it's just very like emotive and performative. And that's how they are able to agitate successfully against people like Ilya Shapiro, the the lack of safety canard. If that is something that the Georgetown faculty, the Georgetown administration takes seriously, and if that's the case, again, shame on them. But if they do, how do the words of this pro-terrorism Palestinian anti-Semitic zealot, how do those things 
not make Jewish students actually feel unsafe, given the celebration of violence and gore and that sort of thing? I mean, if we're going to do the safety thing, I feel like that would apply in spades to this speaker, but apparently they weren't really all that concerned about people who might feel unsafe by these words from this person who, you know, uh, whether he's actively in favor of violence or not, his words definitely paint that picture. I'm just trying to discern when the safety thing applies and when it doesn't. Well, Guy, of course you're right to point out the insane inconsistency of how this principle is applied. But to your point about the fact that there are no real rules governing the safetyist logic, that's a feature, not a bug, of this entire framework. I mean, the, right. all the language of safety, of trying to sort of protect you know, marginalized communities from the violence of speech, et cetera, et cetera, that you hear wielded by student activists, they're not actually meant to be a politically or ideologically coherent doctrine. They're really just window dressing, rhetorical window dressing for the exercise of power. The student activists know, and this has been reinforced by the fact that administrators like the ones at Georgetown Law capitulate to them. They know that if they wave these magic words around as incantations, basically everyone will just do what they want. They've been taught that time and time again by the cowardice of administrators like the ones at Georgetown Law, and they know if they use that language, no one wants to stand up to them. So it doesn't actually – of course, if you were taking it seriously as a principle, <laughs> El Kurd's appearance at Georgetown Law campus would come much, much closer to actually endangering the safety of the Jewish students there than Ilya Shapiro. But they don't. Being a right, but, they, but they don't take it seriously, and that's the whole point, point. and you're exactly right to say it. It's Calvin Ball. There are no rules. It's not supposed to be applied consistently. The whole point is to apply it inconsistently. And I think it's interesting, Nate, that you mentioned this buzzword that they use all the time, marginalized or historically marginalized communities. I think Jewish people would very much fit that bill. They're, what, 1% of the population or so in the United States. Yesterday was Holocaust Remembrance Day. That seems like a marginalized community to me, but it seems like Jewish people don't really count when it comes to this orthodoxy and this like hierarchy on the left. And, and one other example I would give on this, Nate, is from my own alma mater at Northwestern University up in Chicago in Evanston, Illinois. One of my friends who's a Northwestern alum sent me a photograph. We have this location on center campus on the south side of campus called The Rock, where you have to sort of guard the rock overnight if you're an organization then you get to paint the rock with whatever message that you want it's like you know come to the football game or you know come support the college club or whatever this week at northwestern the rock was painted in this palestinian activist motif and they painted on the rock the slogan from the river to the sea which is an eliminationist actually like genocidal slogan about the elimination of the state of israel and that was, I guess, allowed. And, and I cannot imagine that the university would tolerate any other example of eliminationist slogans on campus against any other group, marginalized or otherwise. And yet it seems like this one, they just sort of have free, free reign when it comes to Israel and Jewish people. And I think that is extremely disturbing. Absolutely. No, they certainly wouldn't. And I think the reason, guys, that you're seeing this really poisonous genre of anti-Semitism rear its head on the fringes and increasingly not even the fringes of the campus left is because 
the nature of traditional anti-Semitic conspiracy theories about this shadowy, powerful elite that's working to oppress the masses fits very, very well into the broader left-wing intersectional grievance Olympics framework. If you yep. have this conception of society as being ruled over by a set of powerful elites who are oppressing people, oppressing different groups, very, very quickly you can see how that grafts very well onto the traditional anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Yeah, so, the, tropes, course, the tropes just sort of pop up easily, right? They, they crop up and they're like, oh, this, this sounds about right. This fits our framework, and we're going to either run with it or at least indulge it. That's right. That's right. I mean, when you think about it, the sort of greedy global cabal of Zionists or bankers, etc., that's not too far off from the way that the campus left sees the world in general. So when you have that sort of conspiratorial worldview, it's very easy to see very quickly how that turns into anti-Semitism. And of course, tragically, that's what you're seeing on college campuses across America. Yep. And Georgetown would count itself among the elite institutions in this country. And the people running that institution, I think, are really doing a grave disservice to their institution and to the country. And I take no pleasure in saying that. I've been a fellow at Georgetown. There are some wonderful people over there. It's a good school in a lot of ways. But you've got to call it out because if we don't do it, it seems like no one really will. And these are people who clearly cave to pressure. And this comes back to this now, at least recently, white-hot debate about what conservatives ought to do when it comes to these double standards, highlighting them, fighting them, etc. And job number one is getting the facts straight and putting them out there. And someone who's doing that within this microcosm on this specific issue, I think it's an important one, is our guest, Nate Hawkman at National Review. Nate, good stuff. Appreciate your time today. Thanks so much, Guy. I really appreciate it. And we will step aside and come right back. It's The Guy Benson Show. Stay with us. The Guy Benson Show. More next. Back on The Guy Benson Show. This is interesting. Morning Consult has done a huge poll across the whole country and asking people in every state in this poll how they would rate the job performance of their governor, where they live. And the results are in, and it's actually fascinating. Most governors in the country are above water on popularity. Just a handful are underwater. And one of them is the governor of Hawaii, who's pretty deep underwater. Kate Brown, the left-wing governor of Oregon, is dead last. She is 13 points underwater. Oregon is sort of interesting what's happening out there. Maybe some people aren't totally thrilled about the Portlandification of the entire state. But at the top of this list, the top 11 most popular governors in the country are all Republicans. Some of them are more moderate Republicans in the Northeast. You've got some conservatives in there as well. I was interested to see some of the lightning rod governors. For example, in Texas, Greg Abbott, he is cruising right along in his state at 53% approve, 41% disapprove. What about Ron DeSantis in Florida? Given everything they've thrown at him, 56% approval, 38% disapproval. So he's plus 18 in that poll, which is sort of aligned with some of the other data that we've seen out of Florida. So they're out there making some tough calls and some big decisions, getting raked over the coals by the press. And the people in their state, it seems, are overall pretty pleased by what they're seeing. So the Republicans are doing quite well in that poll. 
and a handful of people who are struggling are Democrats. So we'll keep an eye on that. Yet another breadcrumb and data point on the march and the road toward November of this year. The Guy Benson Show continues with our final hour coming up. Janice Dean, the weather machine, when we come back. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. It's the happy hour on this Friday. It's the Guy Benson Show. Welcome back from Los Angeles. Thank you very much for tuning in. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern every single weekday. Plus, we've got bonus Benson on the weekends. That's on our podcast, which is free every day. Odyssey.com is one way you can listen live. You can go to GuyBensonShow.com for many other avenues to the live program. The Fox News app, the live stream, Fox Nation, our great affiliates, There are many options there and also many options for that free podcast. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media, at GuyBensonShow. That's Twitter and Instagram, so maybe toss us a follow, a little click there. We would appreciate it. This hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, which is so good, extremely delicious. We talked about it yesterday here in the happy hour because we got a full briefing about their expansion plans. So congratulations, Arkansas and Idaho. You are the latest states to get the long drink, and there are many more to come. A huge expansion nationally on the way, and we'll be revealing those states as we can. TheLongDrink.com is their website. TheLongDrink.com. You can plug in your zip code. They show you where it's sold near you. You can also order online. Always drink responsibly, 21-plus only. Joining us now here in the happy hour is one of the happiest people that I know, Janice Dean, senior meteorologist at Fox News, New York Times bestselling author of her latest book. She's a bestseller of two books, but most recently, Make Your Own Sunshine, inspiring stories of people who find light in dark times. Janice, happy Friday and welcome back. Happy Friday to you, my friend. It is so good to have you here, and I actually want to start with some weather stuff with you, which makes sense as senior meteorologist here at the network. I noticed on your social media that I guess what people contact you somewhat regularly to like complain about weather as if what it's your fault. What is this? <laughs> I kind of liken <laughs> it to somebody trying to get stock picks from Neil Cavuto or. <laughs> or anyone in the finance industry, or perhaps like if you have uh, a sniffle or something hurts going up to a doctor in the elevator and saying, you know, what do you think this is, doc? It's kind of the same uh, scenario where someone will say, it feels cold and where is spring? Yeah, and you're like, well, I'm sorry about that, and I can try with some forecasting here, but I can't actually control – the weather, right? Like Neil Cavuto, he, he wouldn't give you a, a stock tips necessarily, but let's say the Dow was, you know, way down on any given day, and you're like, Neil, what have you done to me? All right, that doesn't make any sense. You're like, you know, barging down the door and like, you know, 
banging on the door of the uh, doctor of Dr. Nicole Sapphire or Dr. Siegel or something. It's like, I hurt my knee. How could you do this to me? It's just so illogical. Right. I, I tried to make a comparison there, but you're, you're right. I don't control the weather. <laughs> I think that's a very important thing to just underscore, ladies and gentlemen. Janice Dean, weather machine, don't take that literally. She does not churn out the weather. She simply tells us what's happening and what's going to happen with a fairly high degree of accuracy that is different than actually controlling it. And I don't really understand why we actually have to say that out loud. But apparently for some folks, it's like just a friendly PSA at this point. Has there been an uptick in this? Have you noticed? Is it like a newer phenomenon? I think social media has kind of done that. You know, people will say, New Jersey is really cold this morning. J.D., when do I get to put my winter clothes away? And you know what? I don't mind. It's a way to start a conversation, right? Yeah, they're being friendly. All of us. Right, and that's fine. But when it comes to, you know, someone really angry because they still haven't put away (laughs) their winter clothing, well, you know, I have to remind them that I, I just do the weather, but... Maybe if I had a complaint box or a complaint envelope outside of my fancy office on the 21st floor at Fox News Channel, maybe people would want to you know, file a complaint, ask a manager, demand a manager. Yes. And by yep. doing that, by putting their little complaint in a place, that might make them feel better. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. And I just think from a scientific standpoint, again, I'm all about the science here, not about any like, you know, weird rituals or superstitions. Just scientifically speaking, Janice Dean does not control the fact that it's a longer winter and it's still cold and your spring hasn't started yet. Scientifically, the responsible party is a groundhog in Pennsylvania. <laughs> So I'm not advocating violence against the groundhog, but if you want to go to the complaint (laughs) box, maybe go to where Puxitani or last time we spoke, I think on the air, Janice, you were down there. I think it's just important from sort of like a Fauci science perspective, just to remind people it's a rodent who's responsible for the weather and not you. Right. And his forecasting, by the way, is worse than a, a coin toss. Oh, yes. I mean, he is, after all, a rodent who doesn't really know what's happening and is barely <laughs> sentient. With that being said, Janice, I want to ask you about Fox weather. I know that's been growing. I have some friends over there. It's sort of a very exciting project. We've been tracking it as it has continued to develop. And I saw they are flashing this brand new truck that they're calling the Beast that I guess will chase down storms for, you know, up to the minute developments on that front. What can you tell us about the Beast and just how Fox weather is doing? Uh, Well, I've met the Beast, and it's fantastic. There are several of them, actually, across the country. And you're right. When there's severe weather, where there's a winter storm, hurricane season is coming up, if you see the Beast, that means the weather is not going to be good in your area because we will bring the Beast to where the Beast weather is happening. And it's got all sorts of bells and whistles. Uh, It's got radar. It's got satellite. So, If, say, for instance, uh, the power goes out, the beast is still going to be able to broadcast. So this is pretty incredible technology that Fox Weather is bringing across the nation to make sure that we're prepared to help you get prepared for severe weather season. Can I just suggest something? Absolutely. 
okay, if they're looking for some extra programming over at Fox Weather, for whatever reason, they want to, like, mix it up a little bit, I wonder if they could send you off to various parts of the country where there might be severe weather, have you drive the beast with a camera crew in tow. You could call it Beauty and the Beast, perhaps? Am I allowed to say that? I feel like that could be a big hit where it's like you just driving this thing all over the place and giving your commentary with your Canadian niceness. I feel like that would be a hit. (laughs) I would give out ice cream, I think, just as an added bonus. I love that idea. (laughs) Okay, so we can uh, we'll put that in the suggestion box as well. How about that? You can just hang it on your door and you can deliver it to the CEO from time to time. Just be like, you know, for your consideration. I think that's a fantastic idea. And, you know, the complaints box has now turned into a suggestion box. I like that. It's it's more positive. It's happier. It's sunnier, which makes sense. It's on brand. We're in the happy hour. You write the book about sunniness and making your own sunshine. This is really good. We're like having a workshopping session just live on the radio right now. I'm enjoying it. Now, here's the thing. I feel like a lot of the complaints or whatever you want to call them, the trolls, perhaps in some cases, on social media, which you referenced, it seems like you are perhaps going to get more incoming on that front because you've been gaining – a lot of followers on Twitter over the last week or so. I've noticed the same thing for myself. I'm way up over two weeks ago. It's unclear exactly what's driving this, like the Elon Musk effect. Maybe some people were disaffected. They're coming back. Maybe the algorithms are being changed internally while people are on their way out the door, trying to sort of cover their tracks on some of the penalty box stuff and shadow banning they were doing. I don't know what's going on, but the numbers clearly are precipitously growing for some of us. Do you have a message to your new followers? Thank you. I'm so excited. And it does seem like Twitter is a better, nicer place over the last couple of days. I don't know about you, but I feel like I don't see as many of those trolls. They seem to have hidden under the bridge again. So thank you to all the new followers or the (laughs) followers that were there, but were hidden somehow because maybe over the last two years, I might be critical of a certain uh, disgraced former governor. Uh, But whatever the, whatever's happening, uh, it's really exciting. Yeah. And we won't, we won't mention exactly who you're talking about. The disgraced resigned former governor of New York. We're just not going to mention him specifically, but you can maybe Google. uh, You can Google some of those key terms and maybe Janice's name (laughs) and maybe this show, and you'll have lots and lots and lots of material there. Janice, I want to shift gears to something completely different. There was a story that we saw here in the Wall Street Journal today about a lot of people in the current age, whether it's COVID or just in general, who deal with their feelings of nostalgia and also maybe some of their anxieties in their daily life, and they sort of retreat into or find a refuge in certain TV shows that remind them of a place and time in their lives. And they're almost referring to it, the phenomenon is like a security blanket of a TV show that's very familiar, very comforting for whatever reason. And some of the examples that are given are people of a certain age tuning in to Sabrina, the teenage witch, or Friends, for example. I am curious, is there a television show or two or three 
that would qualify, and you can't say Fox and Friends, that would qualify as a security blanket for Janice Dean? Little House on the Prairie. Oh, interesting. Little House, Little House on the Prairie, Golden Girls, and Gilmore Girls, all three of those Ooh. bring me great security. Can you give me just a little insight into why? Like, uh, paint that picture for us. Little House on the Prairie is something that I grew up with. You know, I used to come home after school and watch that as a young kid. I mean, you know, and the evolution of Michael Landon from wanting him to be a dad to a boyfriend is, you know, something that we probably should psychologically look at at another time. (laughs) 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 You know, Pa, right, Pa? Uh, Michael Landon, who I adore, uh, we lost him several years ago, but I just, I, I thought he was a great actor. He had a, a great, wonderful career, and he brought these great books to television uh, that help preach family values and, and, and work ethic and going to school and how important school is. So I just, I loved Little House on the Prairie. Um, and then Golden Girls, I've always loved uh, for, for different reasons. I mean, the, this sort of bond between these women uh, who have aged well, uh, fine, like fine wine, and have mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, great personalities. One is still frisky, you know, uh, has boyfriends. Uh, the other one's kind of bossy. Um, and then, you know, you've, you've got the, the, the mom of the grandma that was, that was also sort of uh, a grumpy but had great advice. So I love the Golden Girls. That's still wonderful to see, and I will stop what I'm doing to watch that. And then the Gilmore Girls, which I discovered probably a few years ago um, while I was on maternity leave. And that was wonderful about a mom and her daughter and their relationship in this wonderful quaint town. Uh, and, and, and how she, you know, uh, her love interest in the fellow that works at the restaurant. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's great television that you don't have to worry about somebody being hurt or um, it's just family values type programming, I think, is what I'm getting at. Well, Janice, I'm ashamed to say that I have never seen an episode of any of those three shows. <gasps> and I just, I'm what? hanging my head. I know. I know. I know. And it's okay if you never want to come back on this show again. I would understand it. I will tell you that producer Christine, I think I heard her scream yes all the way over from New Jersey when you mentioned Golden (laughs) Girls because my guess is that is probably on her list. In fact, we'll get the whole Guy Benson Show team list coming up in this next segment, the security blanket TV show effect. Janice Dean, always a pleasure. Always a ray of sunshine here on the program. Hope to have you back very soon. Have a great weekend. Well, and listen, I want to have a viewing party with you to discover all of these wonderful TV shows I've just described on your air. Okay, so here's what I'm going to propose in that case. If you are available when I'm up in New York, I think I'll bring a bottle of wine. You get the DVR fired up for Golden Girls, and we'll, like, order a pizza, and it's and it's a date. That is one of the best offers I've had in many years. <laughs> okay, well, let's make this happen. I love it. I'm writing it down. Janice Dean on the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour. Thank you, Janice. Thank you, my friend. Love you a lot. And we'll be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show.
It's a Friday happy hour on the Guy Benson Show. We are back from sunny Southern California. Thank you for tuning in. We were just asking Janice Dean about this. Wall Street Journal story, adults saying that they're going back, fueled by sometimes a combination of anxiety and nostalgia, to watch shows that feel like a warm, comforting security blanket, bringing them back to a certain time in their lives. And she gave her examples of shows that do the trick for her. Producer Christine, was I correct that Golden Girls would be on your list as well? Yes, 100%. I think that is the show. There's nothing, nothing out there better than Golden Girls. I watch it every single night before I go to bed. Every night. Are you, are you jealous of my wine and pizza date with the Golden Girls and Janice Dean? Um, I'm trying not to take it to heart that you will be watching Golden Girls for the very first time, not with your best friend, but I understand that you do have to branch out and you do, you know, have to have other friends in your life. So, sure. There's other fish in the the sea. Christine, meanwhile, Wyatt, Quiet Wyatt preemptively told us he does not have an answer to this question, which is true. He doesn't, aside from Fox News and... The War Network. I don't know if they like the History Channel. He only watches the war specials. If he's not watching one of those two things, he's reading old encyclopedias from the 1980s. That's what he does with his free time, usually around 4 a.m. Dan, what about you? So I used to watch old episodes of Law and Order from like the 90s. Yes. So that's I my answer. It. The original, the original Law and Order. Yeah. Sorry to take your answer, but so that's no, not no, mine. and it's back. You know, it's back. They've rebooted it. I did. I saw. That's very exciting. Um, yes. But my actual one is Seinfeld. I can just always throw it on. It always makes me laugh. I can fall asleep to it. It's just one of those classic shows that's always there for you when you need it. I think those are both absolutely perfect answers. Law and Order, the original, and Seinfeld. I would add it's not airing anymore, obviously. I don't even know where you find it these days, but a show that would give me that sort of fuzzy feeling and bring me back to, like, sick days home from school, very comforting and soothing and safe, The painting show with that guy with, like, the big hair. What was his name? Bob Ross? Bob Ross. That fits the bill as well. I'm not sure if it's quite in the same category as Law & Order or even Seinfeld, but that's my answer. I wonder what yours might be. We'll take a break. We'll come right back on this happy hour on this Friday on this Guy Benson Show. Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson. Back here on the happy hour on this Friday on the Guy Benson Show. We are in L.A. Earlier on the program, we had Jimmy Fallon back on the air. We always enjoy chatting with him on his show, on my show. He precedes me on Fox News Radio, noon to 3 Eastern. Always a lot of fun with Jimmy. Here's part of our Friday conversation. Listen. Now, you're in D.C., am I correct? Did I get this intel correct, that you were in D.C. for the White House Correspondents' Dinner? That is a true story. Um, wow. I will, be, I will be waiting tables in Section 6 through 8. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll be hanging have out. You, have you been to out. one before? Yo, I've never been to one. I'm actually excited to go check it out. Yeah, it's it's a whole thing. The, some of the parties are kind of fun. The dinner itself is, is fine. I've been to, I think, two or three. It's It's not... Like, you know, my favorite activity. But if you've never done it, that's exciting. Now, what are you going to wear? Because this is actually a big question. Given given some of your other sartorial choices, I can't wait to hear this answer. 
No, no, and I am making a move. It's a black tie event. So what I'm doing, though, is I'm wearing one of, like, my tuxedos, which is a traditional black tuxedo pant. But then I'm wearing, like, it's a silver tuxedo jacket with a black lapel. Um, it really comes off like I'm the oldest member of a boy band. Like, they want to fire me, but they can't because I can get them well, beer no, and no, cigarettes. It's, just, it's part of the, it's the reunion. It's the yeah, reunion because they all want to make a little extra money, go We're, back on tour, you know, take some of their, uh, you know, their yeah. like their joint medication and everything. Get out there and uh, with the back pain, make the middle aged ladies scream. Yeah, the back pain boys. That's what we are. The back, the back pain, pain boys. Pain. That's very good. <laughs> I'm a Buffalo based boy band called Thirty Eight Degrees. Yeah, that's me. Um, so I'm going with my boy band look. Uh, black tie affair. I am wearing boots though. I will it's have like, you know. I'm not it's wearing. Like this concert is sponsored by Relief Factor. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> Doing their hit single, "Get Off My Lawn." Please welcome. <laughs> Oh, that's good. Oh, well, this sounds like a, a promising. So you said silver with the black lapel. Anything yeah. crazy on the tie? Are you doing the full length tie or the bow tie or what? I'm going full length. Uh, I'm wearing boots. I'm wearing like a black oh. snakeskin boot. Oh. Um, it's python. It's kind of a roll. It, when I say it's like a rolling snakeskin, the predominant color is white, but it's a blended snakeskin. It looks mean and it pulls the whole outfit together pretty well. So it's not going to be like I'm not going to wind up on one of those lists of like the most garish outfits. But I just didn't want it to be traditional are you sure? base black and white. No, nah, I don't think it's that. By my standards, no guy. There are things the I wear. The white snake boots aren't aren't enough. I mean, maybe I don't know, but I'm just saying at the top, I don't, I, I don't know, because there's always somebody right. who's going to come in with like a nativity set in their hair and a 17 foot train on their dress. I don't know that I'm in that like circus uh, category of fashion. Yeah, so that sounds more like the Met Gala, whereas the White House Correspondents' Dinner, it's a lot less exciting people who, oh, okay. who go, myself included, very much. Um, and they call it very sort of self-consciously nerd prom, which I also find kind of gross. But I hope you have a fun time. Hopefully the table is fun. I'm sure there will be many Fox News jokes because that's the only funny thing that to make fun of. We were talking about that earlier. You can It's <laughs> Trump and Fox News. Those are the safe categories. Um, and we'll see if Trevor Noah, who's the MC, goes there on any of this stuff because, I mean, the failures are hilarious in a lot of senses when it comes to yeah. the democrats running dc just mm -hmm. a lot of people won't make the joke and trevor noah i i don't know is he funny i mean the, the daily no. show i never watch it anymore is he a funny guy no trevor trevor uh trevor noah concerts if you want to get tickets they're usually like 20 to get in and 100 to get out you know, because oh, no. he does like three hour <laughs> terrible jokes. Uh, you know, Trevor Noah is a nice guy. I've met him a lot at Gotham in the city, but he really is. Trevor Noah is like where Disney's Hall of Presidents go to look charismatic. He has a very like animatronic <laughs> vibe. And uh, I don't know how it's going to play in a room that big, but I think it'll give him he'll give him a lot of home cooking. Like you said, it'll be a lot of Fox is bad. January 6th is bad. And it's yeah. a sad moment for comedy because this administration has gifted them with so many targets to shoot at. What I'd oh, like to see happen. Stop. Yes. Is, is stop. Ultimate, there's, there's, there's nothing. I mean, Jimmy, let's let's <laughs> tee up a uh, cut 22. There's nothing. There's nothing funny here. <laughs> We're going to seize their yachts, their luxury homes, and other ill-begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> kleptocracy. And klep the guys who are the kleptocracies. <laughs> <laughs> the guys who are the kleptocracies, Jimmy. I mean, that's not funny. Stop. 
Just as you said that, all right, so my opening line, if I'm Trevor Noah, just off that, just hearing that clip, uh, welcome to the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Tonight we're going to party like it's 1999, because that's what year Joe Biden thinks it is. Hey, everybody, you know, and you could work off that all day. Something that stupid. I mean, it's the first thing that came into my brain. But any of you those jokes leave, are if, there. If you, just, if, if, if you just, like, showed up and, like, wait, Trevor Noah's flight got canceled. We need someone. They somehow drag you up on stage to do it. You would leave that room so aghast. It would be <laughs> spectacular. And that YouTube video would get a billion views. It would. It would be such a great way to end my showbiz career, too. Like, I'd have such a story to tell that all my taxi yeah, go passengers out on top. this coming Monday. Yeah, yeah. When you're, co- when you're back in the cab, driving the cab, you're like, you know. <laughs> Let me tell you about my previous gig. You think this is crazy? <laughs> this, you think this traffic is bad? Oh. Uh, and then, then you've, got, and you've got another, in that case, and just like, you know, in the ballroom, in the back of the cab, you've got this captive audience. Yeah. Where you just you can tell your stories. Look, I'm interested to see the reaction to it. I'm not going to be watching. I'll admit Mm -hmm. that, you know, on a Saturday night, that's not, you know, know. top of my list. But I'll be very eager to get your take on it next Monday on Fox Across America, Fox News Radio, which is Monday through Friday, noon to three Eastern. So Mm -hmm. nine to noon out here on the West Coast. Jimmy, I do want to ask you about this uh, a story Mm -hmm. that I had to, like, double check to make sure it was real. And it is real. The Biden Department of Homeland Security has announced that they are creating a governing board to handle disinformation. So basically a ministry of truth. And DHS is setting it up, which is perfect because, you know, it's Mayorkas in charge of that thing. My full interview with Fox News Radio's Jimmy Fallon, available online, along with the rest of the show, every single day, the entire show on demand for free. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch. Producer Christine gearing up for vacation. She got a visit into her new therapist. We'll see how that went, because that seems appropriate. It's straight ahead. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com. Home stretch. It's Friday on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you for listening. Coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Today and also for a few days next week, it's always nice to be visiting the West Coast. I'm not a West Coast guy. I really wouldn't want to live out here with all due respect to those of you who love it here. In fact, good friends of ours just announced they're moving out here. I was like, oh, well, enjoy the weather. Uh, It's just not my milieu, so to speak. But I like to visit from time to time. And we'll be seeing some folks catching up with some people, family and friends and colleagues. So really looking forward to that. Bonus Benson, if you're needing your fix of the Guy Benson show between today and Monday, we've got Bonus Benson. That's on the podcast. It's free every day around the clock, seven days a week. GuyBensonShow.com, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I do have to warn you in advance of next week, This might be an admonition or a warning for some. It might be a celebratory announcement for others, depending on your personal perspective and tastes. Producer Christine will be off next week. She's on vacation, and for some reason she's coming out here to Southern California. She's chasing me, I think. So I'm going to be engaged in some evasive measures and will likely not bump into her. But you never know. She's very persistent and quite crafty. So our home stretches next week will be 
cookie-free, but you can follow all of her doings and excitement and thoughts on her Twitter handle. So we, of course, encourage you to follow, first and foremost here at the show, at Guy Benson Show on Twitter and on Instagram, or me personally, at Guy P. Benson. You can do both. Guy Benson Show, Guy P. Benson, Twitter and Instagram. But if you want to make sure that you're also keeping tabs on Christine and her vacation in California, it's at Cookies Jar. 1988 and christine did you like build this entire family vacation around my trip to southern california i mean are we getting a little aggressive here do we need some new boundaries what's going on no i just don't you find it amazing that we picked the same spot on the same week like that well i didn't pick the spot right like i was invited to come here for an event over the weekend Mm-hmm. It's not like uh, this is a vacation for me. Well, I didn't pick the spot because you were there. Um, it just it, there was other reasons why we picked that spot. Why I did you pick the spot, it. by the way? I was I, for some reason I was just a little surprised that you would say we want to go to Southern California for vacation as opposed to Lake Winnie or down the shore or you know Florida. You could go track down your buddy Ron. Like, what was the decision here for L.A.? Well, Lake Winnie's later on. That will be a vacation in the summer. Uh, it's a little cold right now. And we, Bobby and I did Florida, remember, Miami, South Beach in October, and that didn't go very well. So, um, actually, the reason is that uh, Bobby has a work trip out there, so I decided to invite myself and my daughter along for the ride. Oh, that's a pretty good reason. Yeah, so um, we're going to be, Megan and I, it's kind of more of a mommy-daughter trip. You know, Bobby's going to be pretty busy for half the week, and then the other half is going to be, you know, the three of us. So just, you know, time to get away, uh, spend time with Megan. You know, we're just excited for some sun, some Guy Benson. Um, Thank you, by the way. I appreciate your offer to pick us up tomorrow at the airport. I was worried about how we were going to get to the hotel. And and Uh then I appreciate you saying we'll stop at In-N-Out on the way to the hotel. So things are looking bright. I will say in the car to my aunt and uncle's house, which is where I'm staying for the next couple days. Last night we. It's in Southern California, Christine. It's in Southern California. Um, Uh Uh-huh. That's about as specific as I'm going to get. But on the drive from the airport, we landed at around 10 p.m. Pacific time, and we were passing an In-N-Out burger around 10.45, and I knew that I should not have a double cheeseburger at that time. But the line at the drive-thru was pretty short. It was only three or four cars, and often it's like encircles the building twice. It's crazy out here. And so I gave some serious thought to seeing if the driver mm-hmm. wouldn't mind. He even suggested, he's like, oh, we, he's like, it's a short line, we could do it real quick. And my mouth was watering thinking about it, but I decided, no, I would do the more responsible thing and not eat at 11 o'clock at night and go home and go to sleep and be a normal person. So I didn't do it, but I, I got to get some in and out on this trip. So I should just like write that on my hand in a Sharpie. Just I cannot leave this state without having... A double-double, especially since we talk so much about it while in Texas with the whole taste test with Whataburger and all that. I need to sort of fortify my analysis that the In-N-Out burger itself is better 
than Whataburger. Although the driver, my driver yesterday, was like, oh, yeah, the, the fries are terrible. He's like, I don't understand why In-N-Out has such bad fries. I was like, okay, we were on the same page. I felt validated. Now, Christine, before you were leaving on this vacation, this trip with your family to California, you were able to squeeze in another therapy session with your new therapist. And I'm glad to hear, first of all, that he didn't actually ghost you because my understanding was he had ghosted you. And he wasn't returning your phone calls after one session. I guess what he, he was looking at his books. He's like, you know what? I could probably use some of the income. So he called you back, apparently. How are things going with Roy? So, uh, yeah, it was a miscommunication of some sorts about last week. So we're back on track. We're back together, Roy and I. We're going to see each other once <laughs> a week for right now. And um, things are good, uh, I guess. He had asked me a question, and then I just kept going, 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 and then I, I didn't realize he was trying to talk. And then he finally just said to me, he's like, whoa, you need to chill out, girlfriend. <laughs> and I said, wait, what? He's like, you <laughs> seriously are on a level 10. We need to take it down to like a five or a four. And then I, I said, I don't sometimes know how to do that. So then he was explaining to me, and I, I, I kind of understood what he was saying. So I really like him. Um, I think we're going to be good friends. I do. Maybe he doesn't know a, that a yet. New, a new best friend. Now, and in this case, at least a, a compensated and licensed, quote-unquote, best friend. Now, yeah. he actually called you girlfriend and told you to chill out? Yes. Yes. Like, he, I kind of like that. His exact words were, whoa, you need to chill out, girlfriend. I mean, he's and right. I, I think that's good advice. I mean, that's like you should get that stitched on a pillow and put it on your bed and think about that and meditate on that message every day. I endorse this. Um, yeah, I, I guess so. So uh, hence, this is what I'm going to try to do this coming week is chill out and, you know, decompress and chill out. It reminds us. me of Arnold Schwarzenegger from that horrible <laughs> Batman movie where he was Mr. Freeze, and he had those stupid catchphrases. I think I've mentioned this years ago on the air. Chill out. Ice to meet you. That's what I'm thinking of. That's where my brain has gone. And we're in California, so California, as he would say. So, I mean, that's it's okay. I'm a little slap happy because we're almost done with the week, almost done with the show. I just have to ask you one more thing about Roy. Do you think he is concerned about you having an on-air, uncompensated, unlicensed therapist in the person of yours truly? Or does he need well, all the help he can get? We haven't necessarily discussed that yet. Um, mm -hmm. I've been pretty vague about uh, my job and what we do and where I work. So um, we haven't got – I mean, listen, we're on Chapter 1 of Cookie, and you know there's a oh, lot got... of chapters – yeah, multiple, so multiple volumes. Yeah, we're just go. starting out right now with a little Judgy Joyce talk. It always starts that way. Um, if anybody knows that goes to therapy, you're always starting, you know, they always say, with your now, parents. Now, yeah, they always say this thing. They go, now take me. Okay, hold on. What did you just say? Where did that come from? Let's go back. Let's go back to that small Christine, that little Christine. Now, why did that happen? She's always trying to correlate. Have you to told him about having your pony killed yet, or is that next time? We are discussing because, you know, like I did. Little Crestine just doing the old slit and throat <laughs> gesture. I wonder what I Roy think... is going to. What, what will he. What, where did that come from? 
Where did that come from, Christine? <laughs> no, we didn't do. We, first of all, I didn't kill Carousel, and we uh-huh. haven't gotten to Carousel. We're no, we're in early chapters. Carousel well, was right, when well, I was eight. We're still, he's got we're so much ahead early, of him. He's got so much excitement <laughs> still to discover when it comes to producer Christine, aka Cookie, aka C Diddy, aka Cookie's Jar, aka Carousel Killer, aka KGB Agent. I mean, there's just so much to get to. Maybe I could just like. I could have Wyatt do a quick little like summary report and send it confidentially from like a like a, an unidentified source just to catch him up on some stuff and he'd have plenty of material with you for years to come. We'll have to think about that because I don't think you really have like doctor patient confidentiality when we have these conversations on national radio with like many thousands of people listening at any given time. So, um We'll have to think through the ethics of that. Maybe Wyatt can do some research in his encyclopedias on that over the weekend and get back to us. Although he's going to have a busy week next week as the producer of The Guy Benson Show because he's living it up here in Southern California, uh, spending a lot of that time, I guess, maybe like Nancy Drewing this thing and trying to find me. And I'll be doing everything to avoid that. And uh, we'll report back. Have a great weekend. Bonus Benson is available. Talk to you on Monday. It's The Guy Benson Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.